Welcome to the Investment Turnaround. In this podcast series, Dr. Mariana Bosazan interviews world-renowned investors, scientists, and other personalities who share their solutions toward the sustainable transformation of our financial systems. Today's guest is Dr. Andreas Rickert, the CEO of the Berlin-based Fineo. Prior to Fineo, the former McKinsey consultant was a director at Bertelsmann Foundation and also worked in New York as a World Bank specialist on governance issues. Dr. Rickert has a PhD in molecular genetics and spent many years in research at the Stanford Genome Center and both the Max Planck Institute for Plant Breeding Research and Molecular Genetics. Andreas, thank you so much for being here and welcome to our podcast. Mariana, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Andreas, this is my first and most favorite question. What happened in your life that put you on this wonderful path to becoming a force for good? So thank you very much uh, for the compliment. At least I try. And my ambition is to be a force for good. Uh, if I achieve that, I don't know. Others have to judge that. Um, you just very briefly walked through my life. And I think it already shows that it's not that I one morning woke up and said, now I have to change something in my life and have to do something for the world. So I've done so many different things. And maybe the sum of all these different activities led to what I'm doing today. Um, but what I can claim is that really right from the beginning, I always had the ambition to do something for society. And you, uh, for good reason probably, because it's already so lengthy, um, ignored the first part. So before I did molecular biology, I studied uh, zoology, and my ambition was to be a uh, person active in environmental protection, in particular in Latin America, and I did actually also my uh, diploma thesis there. So you see, it was already in my genes that I always wanted to do something which has a positive impact on Earth and the society, and that was kind of guiding me through all my different um, jobs I had done so far, also including my work with uh, McKinsey, um, also with the World Bank, etc. So it has always been there, and now it accumulates all in the work I'm doing today, and I try, as I've said, to be a good force. Well, you're obviously succeeding, and I'm, I'm very proud to, um, to have known you for, for the past 10 years. <laughs> so uh, maybe, maybe we should go into the 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 reasons why you started Fineo. You're um, a serial entrepreneur. You've uh, you you put your mouth where your heart is, and uh, started Fineo. What was the uh, the reason why you started it? Yeah, basically two experiences came together. So having worked for McKinsey means that you know strategy, you know markets, etc. And then all of a sudden, I became director at Bertelsmann Foundation. So I had a perspective on the nonprofit sector on society, and I combined both because with my McKinsey and on top scientist perspective, I wanted to know what we are talking about, and I was looking for data, and I became data which became quite interesting in so far that on the one side I realized how big the nonprofit sector is in Germany. Just to give you two numbers, we're talking about a market, and I always see it as a market with more than 600,000 nonprofits just alone in Germany. That's huge. They have an annual budget of more than 100 billion euros. That's really amazing. So that's all on the positive side. But then I also realized this huge market is 
systemically completely intransparent. Nobody really knows who is out there. There are nothing, there's nothing like the yellow pages of the nonprofit sector. And this leads to a situation that donors and in particular potential donors have no real incentive and no real idea where to spend, spend the money. Um, and that was the starting point of Fineo that I said, we need more market intelligence, we need more information so that we can serve the donors, so give them information so that they can A, be motivated to do something for society and B, that they have the right information where to spend, spend the money wisely. And my idea and ambition was by providing information, we will leverage and motivate and mobilize more resources for social purposes and B, that the organizations being on the ground that they have also information how to collaborate, to scale, etc. And that was the starting point of Fineo. And we intentionally started as a analysis house or a rating, kind of rating agency for the nonprofit sector. Over time, our services has become much broader, but that was the starting point. Wonderful. So give us a little bit an insight. You said that uh, together, all of these 600,000 NGOs are managing more than 100 billion euros. How is that occurring? Is there, you know, I know the market in, in the United States. How is this seen in Germany? Is there a separation between the, the donors of a foundation and the, the trustees of the foundation? Is there... A difference as to do do the trustees ensure the that the foundation endowment is being invested with the same measurement criteria as the donations? Yeah. Uh, or is uh, there a discrepancy? What have you found out? Yeah. Um, so let me briefly um, explain how these 100 billion are coming together. Because um, we are talking about Germany. Germany is a very strong welfare state, and there is a clear interaction between what the state does and what the nonprofit sector does, which is good. I like the, the concept we're having here in continental Europe. But it also comes with the situation that this 100 billion, which goes annually to the nonprofits, has a high portion also from governmental money. So roughly between 70 and 80 percent of these 100 are coming from uh, state uh, sources. Um, but that leaves, nevertheless, roughly 20 to 30 billion euros annually, which come from private sources. And that is also then differentiated between different uh, sources. So we're talking about small donations, um, individuals providing roughly five, six, seven, depending on the year, a billion. Um, we have quite a good portion which comes from, and you mentioned that, from uh, foundations. So they're working with their endowment and then the revenues these are spent to the nonprofits. Um, this is also between five and ten. We have then corporate giving, um, which is becoming more and more relevant because corporates realize that they have to be good citizenship. And if they are doing that, they also have to a provide financial resources, but b also being uh, strategic partners to the nonprofit sector in many different ways, like corporate volunteering, etc. Um, so these are the different sources which sum up to 100 billion euro annually. Um, when you're talking specifically about what the foundations, um, they are coming along in two different categories and two different roads. So one is that they're spending money directly as grants or donations to nonprofits, but of course they also have their endowment, their capital they're working with. And in many cases, indeed that's true, they think a lot about what the impact is with their donations and grants, 
But when it comes to the impact or potential impact they're having with the capital, with the endowment, then they are primarily driven, at least in many cases, still by the idea of maximizing the financial return, but not really looking at the impact. But that's a very special group. And also here we do a trend that they are coming more and more together by thinking about what they can do with the endowment, at the same time mission-related uh, to what they do with their spendings as grants, etc. But as a whole, um, so when we started Fineo, the entire nonprofit sector was in many, many cases driven or characterized by an input-driven uh, sector. So that means you defined yourself by the amount you gave, but not by what you achieved. And this was a paradigm shift we have been trying to, to drive as Fineo, and I think we are quite successful, that the nonprofit sector is characterized and ultimately also um, driven by the idea of achieving impact, so that also the donors should ask first the question, what impact do I want to achieve? And then they're providing the funds and not the other way around. So impact becomes the dominating role in the nonprofit sector. Wonderful. So which brings us to the measurement criteria. How do you measure success? And uh, we obviously have uh, these the separation. I personally like to provoke a little bit by calling it schizophrenia between the financial markets, the investment markets, and uh, the philanthropic market, where, you know, in a, as a generalization, you go during the day and earn money at uh, disregarding, you know, the people on the planet, and in the evening, and I've been in this field for so long, you know, through making, by making donations to set off some of the bad. So, and this is actually how you and I met, where we saw, oh my God, is there a way to integrate these? And this is, of course, the, founda the, the foundation of the, what Aqua uh, does. What, how do you see, do you see that coming together? Do you see that the measurement criteria for success in general is being enhanced to include impact investing criteria, both in business and investing? Uh, how do you see the market move from your perspective and also in the heads of the investors because these are the same people you know people who are have developed companies they became philanthropists just like we did because you cannot go on and without uh, letting others participate at your um, uh, in, in in your abundance so how do you see the market evolve yeah um, first of all you I completely agree I mean this is how we came together and which still drives me a lot, that we are breaking down the silos between different sectors. Um, at least in Germany, it has been always the case that we very much think in silos. So we have the state, we have the private sector, we have the nonprofit sector, and there is not that much of interaction. Um, and this is something we see that this summer erodes. So it really comes together, and it comes together on many different levels. So one thing comes together when regarding just the, the vision of the world, um, also the normative perspective. So the people in the private sector, they also want to participate in being part of uh, all the ones driving the world to a better. Um, so this is one thing I see. Um, it also comes to the situation that we have an exchange of tools. So we are using instruments from the private sector and applying them to the nonprofit sector. Of course, you need adjustments to that, um, so it cannot be transferred one-to-one, -one, but we are using management instruments to make the nonprofit sector more impactful, um, more strategic, etc. And it also then accumulates, of course, to the question of how to, to 
allocate the funds. And this is regardless if we're talking about philanthropic money or impact investing. Um, the ultimate question is, what is the impact you're achieving? And this leads now to the second question you have. Um, so how do you measure that? Yes, it is much more complex. Um, I'm coming from a world like McKinsey. I like numbers. Um, so, And of course, when we started Fineo, our initial idea was we just can create KPIs by which we can guide financial resources to the profit sector um, very easily. This is not the case. Um, and here we also have to manage expectations. So to measure and to analyze the impact is much more complex than just having a few KPIs, which we usually used in the financial sector. But nevertheless, it's important. And it's important on two different levels. One thing is once you agree on goals you want to achieve, and this is for the strategy so important, then you also aim at having KPIs or criteria or indicators you can use to work towards those goals. Um, so it's a strategic instrument. And secondly, it's also an instrument to, to, for reporting and to see how things are coming together, also to really move big volumes. If you want to do that, you also have to agree on some specific criteria everybody uses as a framework so that we can have synergies and alignment between different players, different sectors, etc. So in a nutshell, that means, A, I see that there is a change in mindset. So it's not that only the nonprofit sector is a normative power. Everybody, at least that's my perception, everybody wants to contribute to make this place a better place. Um, so this is extremely positive and it's driven by the millennials, but it's also driven by next gens. It's driven by people like us coming from the private sector in the nonprofit sector and vice versa. Um, and it's driven by new instruments we are using and specific in the field of impact measurement, which we can use to make what used to be a niche idea really becoming mainstream now. So I'm very positive looking into the developments. So coming back to the measurement criteria, when you look at, and you mentioned numbers as McKinsey guy, <laughs> of course, <laughs> but on the impact side, you talked about KPIs, which are not really taken seriously by the financial world. I mean, you and I know that. So how can we get together in this? And, you know, as, as you know, in June, the EU Commission just published the taxonomy on sustainable finance and the criteria. How do you see your work being applied in this field? How do you see these two totally different, as you call them, silos, uh, silos come together and reflect their work and, of course, their impact in the way they measure success. Do you see that happening? How, how can you, what, what is actually happening? How, how are we going to in, implement the Sustainable Finance Initiative of the EU Commission? Yeah. Um... I just give you one example, which already indicates that there is at least a political will to align those activities. I had been appointed by Chancellor Merkel to join the German Council on Sustainability. Um, and the reason why they asked me to join this um, standing advisory board to the Chancellor's office on sustainability was impact investing, because I'm known for someone being active in that field, and they wanted to have this specific expertise in this council. Um, so I think this is already a very, very tangible uh, signal that also on the political level, there is interest to bring together the experiences we're having in the philanthropic slash 
impact investing scene with the mainstream, which is now very much picking up the ideas of sustainable finance. Um, so this is on the political level and also regarding the narrative. When it comes one step deeper, um, so here I also do see an alignment between the different trends coming from the smaller world of impact investing, where I am coming from, and the finance industry, which is picking up the ideas of sustainable finance. So in Germany, we have just launched the Federal Initiative on Impact Investing, uh, which is a kind of stakeholder group comprising all the different sectors, different stakeholders, etc., um, and thinking about what can we do to develop impact investing as a real market in Germany. And again, here we are very close and aligned to the activities which go on also on the European level, when you mentioned that the high expert uh, 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 group on impact on, on sustainable uh, finance. So we are aligned with them and we are trying how we can um, use the experiences we have made as impact investors uh, for the uh, sustainable finance and vice versa. We are learning from them. Um, one thing is we always have to make clear why we are doing that. Um, so there is a clear normative push. And secondly, sometimes and I'm also looking at people I'm working with, sometimes also 80% is good enough. Um, in particular in Germany, we always tend to have the gold standard and we always want to have it in a perfect way. Um, that might not be achievable at the moment to really have the clear KPIs, the clear uh, impact investing criteria. So we might want to live with an 80% solution, but we have to get started. And I do see that now things are moving. Okay. Um, really, I mean, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that, but uh, I refuse to be part of this initiative uh, because of the experience that I had with the G8 initiative uh, many years, several years ago, because I, I just didn't want to play, a, you know, a sideline role. And uh, because we really need to show how big money is being moved and not stay on the sidelines. And as you know, in Germany, impact investing is understood as social investing. It's not even uh, sustainability, you know, like renewable energy or, um, you know, the sustainability aspect is not part of that. It's, it's, it's a clear segregation between social investing, which has been equalized with impact investing, although the original uh, um, definition by Jin is not that one. And uh, so I'm happy to hear that you're saying that there is uh, some movement going on. Um, I'm still very skeptical, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, because I, I mean, I, I've tried for for the past 10 years when I came from uh, the United States to, uh, and that's when we met, and just like you did, to really bring impact investing and mainstream investing. And all we have achieved, unfortunately, was to put it more on the sideline. And if you talk to investors in Germany, German investors, about impact investing, they look away. They don't want to talk to you. So it's like, a, like a, an insult. Anyway, so yeah, this is how I perceive it. It's, it's yeah. just we're so much on the philanthropic side and so much on the social investing side that uh, real people who take um, hundreds of millions and billions of dollars in, in their hands, they don't want to go in, in, in this direction. So uh, I'm happy to hear that there is uh, some movement going on there. Now, just, just one yeah. quick comment, because uh, you said at the beginning very rightly, that we are soulmates, and I couldn't agree more. Um, but here also one thing becomes obvious where we might have also different approaches. I really love 
always how ambitious you are um, and that you're really aiming for the big solutions also for transforming the uh, financial industry massively. I'm coming more from uh, smaller initiatives and I'm happy with what I've seen already, even though I know it's not really changing the world as a whole, but at least we are moving slightly. Um, and so in that case, I think we might not be completely aligned, but if we see our both activities together, I think then um, a very comprehensive approach is coming out. So that's um, why I, I like the way how you approach it. And maybe it's also helpful that I'm coming from the smaller scene with impact investing. And if you combine it, then we really have substantial impact, hopefully. Yeah, and you know, I totally agree with you. I'm totally uh, not you know, patient and you're very patient. So this is the major <laughs> difference. And on the other hand, I, I'm also a member in the International Club of Rome, and I do care a great deal about the, uh, the climate. And we cannot continue to have a 1% impact as impact investing has in the financial world. So this is a zero role from my perspective. We need to move big money in order to address the, uh, the existential uh, issues that we have with climate. And so this is why I'm more on the, on, the, on the big capital side and show, hey, we can really make a lot of money and have a huge impact if we begin to apply the proper measurement criteria for impact. And this is why I'm so happy that uh, the president of the Club of Rome, uh, Sandrine Dixon de Cleve, she was, she's part of this EU Commission initiative on sustainable finance. And this, because we only have one, 11 years left you know, to set yeah. our economy in a way that we become carbon neutral by 2050. And if we don't start now, when are we going to do that? And 1% impact investing is not enough. Yeah, I could, I mean, I couldn't agree more. Uh, absolutely. Um, and also, um, that's why we have to take it out of the niche and it really has to become mainstream. I still see that there is a slight difference between impact investing and sustainable finance. Um, and impact investing might always be a little bit more sophisticated, a little bit more uh, niche. Um, but hopefully, by being on that side, it will influence positively also the mainstream. And as I said before, I'm, I'm completely happy also with an 80% um, solution, um, whereas in the impact of Serena, we are always aiming for the 100% solution. But that's why it's not something which competes, but hopefully which uh, really fosters each other and becoming together a big movement. Yes, and um, you said it right. It's all about the mindset. So once people have the proper mindset and the mind shift occurs about the... Yeah. You know, not be living in a segregated world, but we only have one planet. And there is always, and there will always be a place for philanthropy. I mean, people who, I grew up very poor. You know, I went to school without food, not once. And uh, so if you're hungry, we need to, you need to fill your stomach. But I, you know, so there's always a room for philanthropy and for social investing. And I'm a social investor, as you know, I do, yeah. uh, you know, I do the, but I think mainstream investing and the only measurement criteria for success that we currently have being finances is the yeah. wrong metrics. It's just, just as simple as that. And we yeah. have to say that. And you say it more elegantly, I'm more aggressive. <laughs> So anyways, um, you have probably many more friends than I do. <laughs> so, but um, maybe you would like to go a little bit into the details of how you 
you implement these metrics? Uh, what uh, because our audience is mostly investors. So those of um, business people and entrepreneurs, these are um, people who really care. And uh, so for those of uh, our audience who would like to learn more about your metrics, your approach, you have like a bunch of tips uh, on how to do good and achieve, achieve the greatest outcome. Would you like to say something to that? Yes, sure. Uh, I won't make it too lengthy because that it becomes boring, but a few words. I said that uh, before having a comprehensive set of criteria for the performance of a nonprofit or for a social business is much more complex than analyzing a for-profit company. As you said, uh, there you are just focusing on a few financial KPIs, whereas it's much more holistic and much more broad when you look at the impact of an organization. We have, as Fineo, now already conducted roughly 3,000 due diligences on nonprofits um, and also on many um, social businesses. So we have quite, I would say, quite some experience when it comes to analyzing the impact. There are usually two dimensions we are looking at. One is what is the organizational setup? You can only achieve impact if you also have a powerful organization, which is lean, which is very well managed, etc. So this is something we look at. So what is the setup of the organization of the social business? Um, and then we are looking at the impact. So here we are on the content side. And in many cases, you still have to have an individual look at every and each single organization because they are active in different fields and you always need kind of tailor-made approaches when you are in the field of a, let's say, climate project uh, versus a project which works for children and underprivileged uh, societies and communities. So you need um, specific KPIs capturing the impact in those circumstances. So this is what we do. Nevertheless, there are so many approaches out there which are at least comparable. And there is a big movement out there that we at least agree on a few KPIs for some key interventions so that we can also make a comparable, even kind of benchmarks. So one example is that there is Gin and Iris out there. Um, everybody can search for that. So they have set up databases where you have a key set of KPIs which are applicable to many different interventions. And what we do is whenever we analyze, so we look at what has already been reported by others. Is there something which is becoming a standard so that we can compare it to that? Then we use it. That's great. In other cases, we also have to have um, tailor-made KPIs for specific interventions. One key point is always whenever you want to talk about impact, you really have to come from the needs and from the beneficiaries or from society or environment and not just coming from your own perspective what you think, which might be a good intervention and you want to measure against that, but really seeing what is the real need and then you define goals and then you define the KPI for that. Um, and this is something also on a strategic level where we are, while we are analyzing organizations at the same time, also providing a kind of pro bono services to them, explaining them how they can work towards more impact. Um, so that's how we look at organizations. So we look at them and we look at them very holistically regarding the organization and the impact. And we are aiming to on both levels so that we are seeing what the impact is so that we can report towards investors, et cetera, and at the same time using the analysis as a learning tool for organizations so that they can continuously become better and achieve more impact. Brilliant. So in terms of the 
the tools that you're using, is there is this software tool? Are you using AI or is that a um, mechanical or a hands-on tool? How do you operate? Um, of course, due to our experience, uh, we have big databases where we uh, can feed in the, the the results we see the the impact we are seeing or we are getting reported from the organizations but still it is a a very um, labor intensive work so it's not that you just run a AI um, program over the results you always have to have a look also from the personal experiences of the analysis that might change over time but it's as i said much more complex to capture the impact than just to see a few kpis showing the financial performance of a company yeah i'd love to pass by at some point after this interview because we're looking at ai tools that could be applied in this field maybe you're you would be interested in as you Absolutely. know, old like Silicon that. Valley guys, and you love Silicon Valley just as much as I do, I'll pass it by you because uh, there's a lot we could um, do there using um, AI tools. So coming back to, to more questions with respect to the mistakes, what common mistakes have you identified? in in both on both sides in the on the side of donors but also on the side of of the social uh or impact investees what uh what are the common mistakes and how can people address them yeah um before i go in both categories maybe what is common in many cases they are not speaking the same language uh, but they are coming with different expectations um, because in many cases they're coming from different cultural backgrounds and that's not good um so the first step is that whenever you enter into the social or environmental sphere as a investor um, try to be patient i know that's something which is difficult to some people but be patient and be open to learn from the other side um, and that same holds true for the um, for the grantee side um, or for the investee side so both have to be open to to talk to organizations to talk people coming from others here that sounds trivial but that's the starting point okay so once you have managed expectations then on both sides so the the biggest mistake i've seen on the side of the social businesses or nonprofits. Um, these are people usually having a huge level of ambition, a great passion, and it's always also a privilege for me working with those people. But people who are driven by so much energy sometimes make the mistake that they are immediately starting to run and not pausing for a second and thinking about the strategy. And this is the biggest mistake. In many cases, they, they just start with their activities, not looking at what is really the need uh, we, are, we are trying to address. What are others out there? That comes then with the price of fragmentation. So you start with a small project and not really realizing what the other ones are doing out there. And by working together, you could achieve much more impact. So this is our key recommendation towards the social businesses, to the nonprofits, pause for a second, talk with others, try to identify your niche, uh, your USP, and see how you can collaborate with others. Um, on the side of the investors, um, as I've said, so be open, be open to learn with others, be a good investor, good in the sense that you really act on eye level um, so that you try to support the organization in a most holistic way. So providing funds, of course, um, but maybe also providing 
uh, sweat equity um, when you're talking about investments in smaller organizations so that you're leveraging your network, that you're leveraging the expertise you're having um, so that you're really trying to support the organization in the most impactful way as possible. That also means accepting that they're making failures. Um, and only if you have the field of trust uh, in both directions, then you can learn together. And by that, you will achieve, hopefully, the biggest impact. So these are uh, not only the mistakes I've seen, but maybe also a few ideas how you can overcome them. And how do you see the how people receive? Because we're obviously looking in the same direction. We, we measure in an integral way in every single one of our investments we use all criteria, the social, environmental, governance, and so on, we have the, the integral model to use that. How do you see that, uh, you know, this advice being accepted? Because we have a hard time, uh, although we allocate 3% of our um, investment amount to team development, as you said, you know, take the time to think about the strategy, uh, learn how to scale, build a small thing, and then begin to walk before you run, and so on. How do you see that uh, this advice being accepted? Um, by really taking the time talking to both sides. Um, that's why I said you also need a patient uh, investor in particular. The, the investor is the one who has to make the first step because uh, they have to provide the funds. They have to also bring um, the idea of learning into the nonprofit, etc., or into the social business. So. Our advice is, um, and we are working with many social investors, we're working with many philanthropists and donors. Um, I always say it's kind of donor education. So we are taking our time talking to them, explaining to them, if you really want to achieve impact, these are the criteria, these are the rules, how you should behave as an investor or as a philanthropist. Um, and once they understood that they have a big lever if they do so, and they, they see also by making the first investments, the first donations, and that they work, then, of course, then they realize that there's a value in that. But it's nothing which comes intuitively right from the beginning, so you have to talk to them and to explain it. Yeah. It's interesting that you have arrived at similar numbers as we did. 80% of the risk in, in our due diligence, uh, in our experience over the past almost three decades, comes from the team. And mm -hmm. it's interesting that, you know, you have this similar number. You said uh, approximately 80% are not recommended and only 20% are recommended. And then, you know, from your own um, criteria, yeah. can you say something about that? Um, yeah, indeed. I mean, I mentioned that, that we have you know, conducted the due diligence with so many organizations. And you, you already quoted the numbers roughly. 20% of the organizations which has run through the due diligence, they are recommended publicly. You can see that on our website, they get awarded the so-called impact seal, the Wirksiegel. Um, so these are the ones we recommend without any comments. Um, but 80% don't get the seal. And it's not that they're doing a bad job. I mean, all of the organizations we have met so far are great organizations, uh, very committed people. Um, but there are a few things which are not running completely well um, and here I hope that by a our due diligence and our advice they already make a step forward but b also by maybe matching them with a donor who is willing also to invest into capacity building uh, into structural setups into more strategy etc we can also build partnerships between uh, sophisticated investors slash donors 
and very promising uh, social businesses slash nonprofits. And then they can learn together and really become very impactful together. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of times patience and um, openness and uh, these are an ambition. These are all inner qualities of a human being. Can you say something to the interior measurement criteria? How do you evaluate those? How do you apply those? This is one of the biggest parts of, of what we do using the integral model. So I'm just curious how you assess you know, the interior dimensions of the culture and the individual and so on. Yeah, and I know that's really a strength of your model. Um, I have to admit that we are not so sophisticated when it comes to that dimension. So when we conduct the due diligence, we always have on-site visits. So it's not only just reviewing the documents, but we always go to the teams. And we're talking to teams uh, from the management level, also down to the ones providing the work. Um, and our experienced analysts have really by now a very good feeling of how the structure is, are the right people in the position, do they feel well, etc. what kinds of needs they might have also on a personal development. So this is something we capture in our on-site visits and we also then write it down in a qualitative way. We don't have really hard KPIs capturing that, uh, but it's more a descriptive, uh, qualitative way um, how we, we capture that. Um, and then we also give recommendations toward the teams, what we have diagnosed and what they could do better. And in the other direction, also to potential donors and investors, uh, our recommendations, how they can help these teams to even be more impactful and to perform better. Um, because I completely agree, um, a successful, impactful organization is driven by the right set of teams. Um, and this is nothing which comes by accident. This has to be really managed. Which brings us to um, the last two questions of this interview. You've been very generous with your time. Thank you very much. <laughs> How do you keep yourself in such a patient, wonderful, inner, balanced way? As a human being, what do you do? What is your daily transformative practice? <laughs> um, uh, maybe this is something which I cannot claim to have done anything for that, but it's maybe just my personality. I'm always positive. Whatever I do, I, I start with a positive uh, attitude, um, and this gives a lot of um, freedom, a lot of energy and I'm just grateful for having that personality. So maybe that's uh, that's a key answer. And then secondly, um, uh, I'm surrounded by wonderful people, which gives a lot of energy. Um, it starts with my family and my three kids. Um, of course, they also absorb a lot of energy, but they're also giving back a lot of energy. Um, and I have wonderful friends um, and I, I have the privilege and I really see it as a privilege that within Fineo, it's a great team, but also all our partners. Um, they are always people who want to achieve something for society because um, nobody comes to Fineo with a negative attitude. Everybody coming to us, partnering with us from all the different sectors we have mentioned are the ones who have a passion and the will to achieve something. And in many cases, they also have the possibilities to achieve something. And this is something which is so enriching, personally enriching, um, and always keeping me also on the positive, optimistic side. Uh, and that's why I think um, even though we are facing so many challenges, I'm quite optimistic that we can tackle those very efficiently. And that's maybe my personal way how I capture my uh, positive energy. So there is no, you were born this way and there is no effort and you never have a bad day. What do you do when you have a bad day? 
of course, everybody has a bad day. Um, and uh, that's normal because by that you can also appreciate when the majority of the days are positive. Um, now, but if that is the case, um, it helps to do sports. That's a very simple answer. And it helps um, also to have people um, who might sense that you are not in a good mood and very, very sensitively helping you out of that. So it's not something you can do usually alone, but you need people helping you show the good examples, etc. Um, but that's basically it. It's not that I'm practicing uh, yoga or something very intensively. It's uh, more naturally coming. How do you want to be remembered, Andreas? Wow, that's a tough question. Um, I hope my ego is not so big that I, as a person, have to remember it, maybe within my family and the uh, the next generations, hopefully, they, they will somehow realize that I was there in the line. Um, if I have a a positive impact on the world um, without not necessarily linking it to me, uh, then I'm already happy. Well, wonderful. Well, you you can already be very proud. You've achieved a lot, and I'm I consider myself very how should I say honored. Um, to, to know you. Thank you so very much for your time and good luck to you. Thank you. For more information on Dr. Rickert, visit fineo.org. That's P-H-I-N-E-O.org and follow him on Twitter at Andreas M. Rickert. For more on Dr. Bosezan and the investment turnaround, visit investment-turnaround.com. 